Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are executive producers Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and Ms. Aida, psychic and author of Who Do Justice Magic, binaural production engineer Damian Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, monthly co-host Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us, and monthly co-host Cat Baldwin, author of The Forgiveness Workshop. And this episode is being sponsored by Ginger Glasser. And you can find her at tarotbyginger.com. So if you're looking to get some insight on the energy surrounding your life or um, some advice on how to make better decisions, definitely check her out at, ginger, at tarotbyginger.com. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Gina Warren. And she is an old friend of mine, and she also has recently started her own podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Gary. I'm so happy to be here. And Gary's like my oldest friend. <laughs> Am I really? I can't be. No, old, no, longest. Longest Not friend? Longest, really? Gary. Longest yeah. friend? Now? You don't have any friends left from like childhood? Not really. I mean, when I, you know, Gary and I met when I first got sober and he was one of the first people who like showed me kindness in the program. And unfortunately, a lot of those friends from the time when I was, you know, in a lot of self-destructive behavior, those friendships are no longer there. Right. Because it's just like, yeah, like I heavily, there's a couple, there's Mm -hmm. like one or two, but for the most part, not really. And, you know, I just feel such an incredible bond to you and Gary, I'll tell you a little bit, but him and I met and we just, you know, it's like unique friendships, right? Like yeah. on paper, you and I would never be friends. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like on paper, we were not a match, but I have so many beautiful friendships in my life. And it's like, if I limited myself to like what, what society deemed as appropriate for me to be friends with someone, then mm-hmm. it would be such a loss, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I like, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you were 19, so you were the same age getting sober that when I got sober. And there's not that many people, you know? And, and I think that's like, a, it's different. And like, I think that's one of the things I recognize too is like sobriety for somebody who comes in at like 30 or 40 years old is different than somebody who comes in at 19. 19 is different because you still have your whole life ahead of you. And when you're giving up, your best friend, your drugs, the alcohol, and all of that. It, but you still want to have fun. So, so like, I know for me, when I was 19, the idea of sobriety looked like my life being over. 100%. You know? and, 100%. And I always wanted to be an example that it's not over. You know, you can still be a crazy maniac and be sober. Yeah, but also the thing is that you and a couple other people, you know, who showed me kindness, like, because where, where I got sober – You know, I'm in South Florida now, right? I live in basically a suburb of Fort Lauderdale. Mm -hmm. There, there's a rehab on every corner and everyone is sober. Everyone and their mother, there's tons of young people in meetings and things like that. That was not my experience. My experience was in, I mean, can you paint the picture for people who don't know? Like we were at this clubhouse and it was like dingy dark. (laughs) 
<laughs> like, like it is not like the in the movies, honey. It is like, I mean, remember, I only yeah. wore I only wore Walmart sweatpants that first year. Yeah, you had to, right? Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, the Twenty Four Club was. I mean, well, yeah, I guess I said it now, but <laughs> but the club <laughs> that we call it, it was just a club. I mean, it was located located behind a shopping center, a place where you never find it. Next to a tire, a, a tire shop. A tire tire shop. shop. So when you went inside, the place smelled like exhaust. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, there would always be a crowd of, like, you know, people out front smoking cigarettes and cursing and arguing with each other, or whatever, and, um, and drinking coffee, nasty coffee mm-hmm. made by this guy, Eddie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, and, you know, I think it's like, you know, th- that meeting being dark and dingy is like why I loved it. It was because it did have like a really down to earth feeling because you go in there and there was one meeting, you know, that the, the where that 530 meeting where people could say whatever they wanted. You could say whatever you want and not be judged, even though it may have seemed, seemed even though like the character, you know, the people there didn't seem like the most sober or the most wisest people in the world. You could say what you wanted to say. And people would still accept you no matter what. Like you could go to these other meetings where everybody's all clean and neat and have these bougie purses and all that kind of stuff. But could you really be yourself in those places? Could you really be honest? That's exactly the issue that I had is like I present a certain way. And I think, you know, people can look at me now and be like, okay, yeah, like it'll be almost 14 years sober for me, Gary. But it's like. This the version of me today is like me with a lot of self-help, a lot of spirituality, a lot of therapy, a lot of medication. Like this is 14 years into the future. Mm-hmm. Like you were there in the bitter beginning and it did not look pretty, honey. It was like, I mean, I, I literally shared almost every day. I want to drink. I want to kill myself. And like the compassion that you and a couple other people in that clubhouse showed me is like so special to me. And I don't want to cry, but it's like. You know, I would go to women's meetings and people would just want to like exploit me as like a a token of their success of having this like good looking 19 year old in their posse. Yeah. <clears throat> and that's not what I needed. I needed people to sit with me and like hold space for me when I was having a nervous breakdown in sweatpants talking about like suicidal ideation and wanting to drink. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, and that's what you did for me. And I, I talked about in my ro- most recent episode of the podcast with Jackie was like, you guys showed me compassion, even though you didn't have to. Like, you had full lives. You were sober how long when I met you? Like, tw- over 20, 20 years. 20 years. About t- uh, 20. Yeah, over 20 years. You didn't need to sit there and get coffee with me and deal with my bullshit. No, but but you didn't have to hang out with people like me and Keith at Alfonso's either. No, but that was you know beautiful I mean? to me. That was beautiful to me. And I think that's like, I don't know. I think you can't limit yourself on what healing and connection looks like. And I think that's where people go so wrong, you know, mm-hmm. and I've experienced it, you know, by trade, I'm for people who don't know, I'm a nurse, right? I was practicing nursing for the last 10 years. And it's been a struggle for 10 years in that profession with my background, because it was just very inauthentic to who I was and who I am as a person. And more recently, I have found different practices that have promoted healing for me in a very meaningful way that by conventional standards are very off brand, right? Like Reiki Mm -hmm. meditation and you, Gary, you've been meditating since forever. 
Yeah, I've been doing it for a while. <laughs> and you would talk about that kind of stuff, and it was attractive to me, but also I wasn't quite ready for it. Right. Like, I was like, oh, you know, like, interesting. I, I took the information in. And one of the things I love the most about you, and I'll tell your listeners that you said, is that the funniest thing that you ever said that stuck with me so much <laughs> was when you said, just because I'm sober doesn't mean I can't ruin my life. Just because I'm sober doesn't mean that I can't make like every bad choice in the book. I have. Right? <laughs> right. No, but I love that. Right. Because it's like, just because we kind of make this different lifestyle for ourselves, I think there's an inherent set of self-destructive behaviors mm -hmm. that's in every addict. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the, the self-destructiveness is hard to get rid of. Well, I don't know if you can't can get rid of it. And the other thing for me too is like my drink, my addiction started out with adrenaline. Mm -hmm. You know, the idea of doing something bad made me feel good. Yeah, and then also like you went through, you know, because when I first got sober, right, it was like I struggled a lot with relationships with men. I struggled a lot with like poor choices and infidelity and like being an honorable, upstanding citizen because I didn't even know how to operate like that. Like I had this one way of you know, addiction and like alcoholism pushed me into this one way of operating. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I kind of, I think when I first modified and changed my lifestyle to like not using drugs and alcohol, I thought, you know, you have to, it's like black and white. Yeah. And if anything I've ever learned in the program is that there are so many shades of gray. And I would tell you about like, I'm dating this guy and this is going on. And you're like, listen, you know, you, as long as you stay sober, like you can continue to self-destruct and you'll figure out the way, but like you have this going and the rest is going to follow suit, you know? And I think that that's so true, right? Because, you know, yeah, I wouldn't have had a life if I didn't get sober. I would have died. Like my mm -hmm. story was like littered with arrests. And I think you have to have pretty severe consequences to get as young, as sober, as young as you and I did. Yeah. Like if you're getting sober at 19, it wasn't a walk in the park. <clears throat> No, no, I was completely self-destructive. I wouldn't, right. have, I wouldn't have survived definitely past thirty. Were you like IV drugs, or were you mostly alcohol? Uh, I was mostly psychedelic. I loved Angel Dust. Angel oh, Dust God. was like my favorite oh, drug. Gary, I haven't heard the fucking word Angel Dust. <laughs> <laughs> do you know? Do you know there are a whole new drugs that we don't even know about? I know it drives me crazy. I'm so curious. Do you <laughs> know, like, like two CB. No. Have you heard of that? It's a whole new drug. Don't look it up. Don't do drugs, kids. But, you know, I remember um, Heroin Mike telling me one time, he told me this funny story in the club. And he said, he talks about how he's been sober off alcohol for like 30 years at the time. But he relapsed on heroin because he's like, he literally was like, I know that if I drink, drinking will make me go insane. And heroin was the safer choice. And that story like stuck with me my whole life because mm -hmm. that's how I feel. You know, people are like, oh, you know, you know how it is with drinking. People yeah. always push that shit on you. And it's like, I am more inclined to do heroin because it's literally like alcohol ruined my life in such a unique way that it's like no interest there. Yeah. I, like with me too, like alcohol made me lose complete control. A hundred percent. Where it was with some of the other drugs, I could still function. I mean, granted, angel dust is pretty brutal, you know, but. How do you do angel dust? I don't even I know. Smoke it. You mix it with weed and you smoke it. Where do 
you even go to buy angel dust these days? No, don't uh, tell me. I, I used say, to buy, I, I don't know. I don't even think don't they make I don't even think they make it now, but I used to have to go to the projects in Trenton and buy it. Love to see it. <laughs> Love a little Trenton shout out. Yeah, yeah. You gotta go. I mean, and even that was I mean, you know, here I am, you know, this eighteen year old kid going to the projects of Trenton. And I'm from Princeton, you know. <laughs> Gary, I, you know what I used to do? You want to hear some shit? And this is terrible. Kids, don't do this. I used to pick up homeless people in Trenton and take them to the liquor store with me when I was like 16, 17 years mm-hmm. old until I got a fake ID. And like, you want to talk about dangerous? Like, oh my God, God was watching out for me. And that's like such a huge reason that I believe in some kind of divinity because I couldn't make a good choice to save my life. Yet here I am, like, still sober with this beautiful life full of blessings that, like, sometimes I feel unworthy of because it's like I am not a shining shooting star. Like, good and good things have continued to happen in spite of me because my intentions remain pure. But it's like I fuck up on the regular, you know? Yeah. yeah me too. All the time. Yeah. And, and like, God, even, like, the whole Trenton thing, like, I used to go to this place called Two by Four. On okay. Calhoun Street, because they would serve minors. <laughs> oh my god! I was just looking up. Okay, so I was just looking up what Angel Dust was because I'm not even sure the components. Okay, it's PCP and hallucinogens. So you hallucinated. Yeah. Okay. But, I, but I could drive that's... fine on it. Oh, good. I'm glad. Yeah, that's a good choice. Fact, Go get behind the wheel on a little Angel Dust. Oh, I don't know. At the time, I thought I drove better. Oh my god. That is the most delusional addict thinking I've ever heard in my life. It's only an addict who's like, yeah, you know, I need to smoke a little weed so I could be of sound mind to get behind the wheel. No, no. <laughs> the kids don't try this at home, please. Oh, my God. Horrible. However, though, I will say, like, prior – not, not, me, me and Catherine would talk about this story because she did angel dust too. But before, before the angel dust in, in school – they told me I was retarded. That was the, you know, that was the word that they used back then. You know, I, I, right. I couldn't learn anything. And then after the after three months on Angel Dust, I was able to go to college and have like a three point eight grade point average. But do you think like it's like ketamine? Like nowadays people are using ketamine. I, I think it's there, I think it's a similar effect. Yes. Yeah. I I think that that some of these drugs used in a clinical setting can help a person rewire their brain. Well, I believe in all of that. Like I'm out here, listen, she'll fall on the sword for the depression cause all day long, right? Like I will literally, I'm, I, have you heard of the Stella Ganglion treatment? No. It's something, it's a new treatment that they're using for depression where they put a needle and they relieve pressure in that nerve. Mm-hmm. And I'll send you a link and you, so you can just show your, like show your listeners that what it is. Great. It's interesting, right? And it was started to be used. It's a newer thing, but it started to be used for like desert storm PTSD vibes. Mm -hmm. And then also like transmagnetic stimulation for depression. And um, also the ketamine treatments. I mean, I'm in the process of getting authorized to do TMS, but I have to tell you, like since I started doing Reiki, my depression and anxiety has alleviated in such a meaningful way. Mm. Like I... You know, it's been an on and off battle with mental, you know, my mother was schizophrenic, you know that, but for your listeners, right? So mental health and mental, you know, issues have always been in the forefront of my awareness, right? Dealing with a mother with those problems. So 
for me, like I've struggled with my own mental health and I found Reiki and meditation as a means to cope with some continued suicidal ideation that I had been having, even with a lot of sobriety. And, you know, I always joke around and I say to you, like, stay sober for 10 years and you can be as happy as me wanting to kill yourself once a week. <laughs> it's like, you know, and, and I'm saying that joking because I really do have an amazing life. But those mm. intrusive, those intrusive thoughts, thoughts. Yeah, you can't get rid of them. They just pop in. But they have started to go away with Reiki and meditation. Wow. And it's really beautiful. And that's, that is really the catalyst of the podcast. And, you know, to me, I'm like such a negative Nancy. And you had a, a guest on your episode where he was talking about the power of prayer, that reverend from the church in New York City. Mm-hmm. What was it? Do you know who I'm talking about? He was talking about mm-hmm. the power of prayer. And you were like, and he was saying, well, if you know, it, if you believe it works, Gary, why won't you just do it? And you said to him, that's the problem is that I don't fucking know. Like I know, I believe it would work. Uh-huh. I have faith it would work, but my, I still don't do the action. And that's like a very addict vibe, right? Because like, for me, like I, I believed Reiki could work. It wasn't until my therapist brought a Reiki practitioner to the office that I was like, all right, fine. Well, that's a funny thing too. Cause I, I got Reiki attuned. God, like I, mean, I probably knew you then. I mean, it was like 20 years ago. I know it works, but I don't use it. That's, you should. I should, yeah. yeah it's I, like I typical should. It's typical self-destructive mental illness behavior. Like when the pain gets great enough, we'll tap into the things that we need, but we have to push it to the max. Like when the pain gets great enough, but we love to suffer. I think almost sometimes I'm addicted to suffering more than anything else. I do that too. Like, like, especially like, like last year, you know, cause I've lost, you know, my wife, my house and all that stuff. It's been, you know, my, my, my natural thing is to like stop eating, not get out of bed and, and, and just, and, and think about negative shit. Yeah. But I think we're also too comfortable suffering. I think when you have the history of like, you know, going through really traumatic situations, like I had a lot of childhood trauma and then, you know, I was arrested and in jail six times. Like my story is not like wonderful. And I think when you go through like high levels of trauma at the, like, that's always your, um, your thermostat. And so like your thermostat's always broken and you're like, okay, well, as long as I'm not sitting in jail with no pants on, like he's thriving. And it's like, <laughs> no, it's okay yeah. to like, and I, I always say, and something a therapist told me was like, it's okay to sit in the sadness and sit in your feelings, but you also need to like, energetically shift and try to make moves to change that yeah right it's like the it's like the classic cliche i'm not responsible for what happened to me but i'm responsible to like heal myself right it's like that's annoying shit to hear but it's at the end of the day like you know and listen gary i'm out here i'm doing this in micro dosing i'm micro dosing spirituality i don't pretend to be like the, the my you know my recurrent guest maddie on the podcast like I am literally like, I do a 17 minute meditation a day Mm -hmm. and I get Reiki once a month and I go to a Reiki circle once a week. Like I'm not, I have kids. I don't have fucking time to be sitting in meditation for four hours a day. But I think, I think manageable increments for people is like, and you'll see a noticeable change. So I would highly encourage you to like reincorporate it. Yeah. I I know like meditation was a game changer for me. It was huge for me because, because, after being sober for, you know, I guess at that time, like 15 years, you know, and still feeling the way I felt, 
uh, I didn't know what to do. Like, like it only the the twelve step program only got me so far. To it got me from not being able to survive on my own to being able to survive on my own. But it didn't get me to was a place where I could find peace within myself. And um, and when I started meditating, I found that you know I found that next place where I really wanted to be. But what do you think this, like, I always think about that. And, and Jackie was asking me that when I had her on my podcast the other day. It's like, where do you think the sticking points are? Like for the program, like, what is it that, I don't know, you think it just, it's only to a certain degree. Like, where does it cut off? The, when they wrote the big book, the most sobriety anybody had was seven years. Right. I think when he wrote, when Bill W. wrote the step book, I think it was, he had about 15 years. So I would say at that point, there's really no information on what sobriety is supposed to be after that. You know, except. I mean, wasn't Bill Wilson like out here doing like hallucinogenics at the end of his time? Not only was he. Talk about that. People don't want to mention that. Yeah, he was doing, he was doing LSD. He was also doing seances and. And doing, um, looking at, you know, things with, uh, Madame Blavatsky type of work and occultish stuff. And they don't talk about that either. They only focus on the Christian side of it. And, and and apparently he tried to, he tried to include some of that in his writing, but the committees who made the decisions on what went in and what went out took all that stuff out. Yeah, because our government and everything in our society is run by the Christian narrative. Yeah. Right, and that's that's why I I want to go do this Earthship and get the fuck out of this country that's literally like a sinking ship as far as I'm concerned. Like, I mean, I'm proud to be an American, and I don't like just like I don't I'm not here to bash America, right? Because I'm grateful for the, my liberties and my freedom, and I'm aware that I have so many blessings being born in this country that most people will never know. But at the same time, you, you'd have to be pretty blind right now. To not see that things are kind of like taking a turn. Yeah, it's definitely getting bad. And it's funny too, because I didn't realize what hold Christianity has on this country until I moved to Alabama. Ooh, you know, I did my, I got my last arrest in Alabama. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I interviewed, wait, I want to talk about this. I interviewed my friend who plays football. He's actually trying to get on a, he's about, to sign with another team. He was injured. He took some time off and homeboy is literally like played on the 49ers for three years and played for the Washington Redskins. And the other, a couple of weeks ago, we went to lunch, mm-hmm. him and I, he's a dear friend and he's like an enormous black man. Okay. He's like almost seven fucking feet tall. He's like huge. He's built honey. I saw the he's, pictures. <laughs> yeah. He's built to play football and we're going into the restaurant. He's like, there's no drive through. And I was like, I'm sorry, what do you mean? I'm like, are you embarrassed to be seen with me? Right? That's what I'm thinking. I'm like, right. oh, he's he's so cool. Like, he's a, basically like a celebrity as far as I'm concerned. Like, he doesn't want to be seen with me. And he literally looks at me and he goes, no. Like, people are going to think it's really weird that a beautiful white woman is with a big black man. And that fucking crushed my soul. Because I'm like, do you not know who you are? Do you, And even when I went to Auburn, you know, I got kicked out of my sorority for dating a black guy. You know that story. And 
basically my sorority said, they brought me to the standards committee and they said, if, if you, the person you're dating is not in ethical alignment with our morals and standards. And I said to them straight up, Jersey girl that I am, oh, is that right? So if I break up with him and start fucking another black guy, is that going to be a problem for you? <laughs> and they literally just looked at me like, like stunned. And I, I turned in all my letters and turned in all my stuff. And I said, I want nothing to do with this. And what's crazy is that everyone in that sorority proceeded. Nobody would speak to me. They call it blackballing you. Mm. Literally, they won't talk to you. You could see them next to them and they will not even say hello. Wow. It's like the I was shunning. Like the racism and the like, I think. Listen, I have I'm, I consider myself a libertarian. OK, but. The Trump administration just showed that the racism and the hatred in this country, like there's a, you know, it, it became the pulse of the racism in this country became palpable in the Trump administration. And that's just a fact. Mm -hmm. But what was your experience? Like what, what was, I want to know. So when I moved to Alabama, well, one thing I learned, first of all, is he would not No, I couldn't find a job because I was a Yankee. Oh God, that happened to me too. So, so the, nobody would hire me because I was a Yankee. The other thing I learned was, because my last name is Cachalillo, I'm not white. <laughs> Which also, I've been saying Cachalillo. I've been saying Cachalillo wrong. I've, he's been Cochleolio over here. <laughs> and when I started listening to his podcast, I'm like, Gary, I strongly apologize for butchering your name for the last 14 years. But go on. Yeah, I know. The Yankee thing is stupid. Yeah, so they called me Yankee. I found out because I was Italian. I wasn't considered white. Um... And then I found out if I didn't have a church affiliation, yep. you know, again, it goes down to like being able to find a job. Like it's like you have to belong to a church and have a, is this good old boy system that starts in the church and, and then it goes from there. Um, you know, then it was, you know, I didn't get too much political heat because I was an anarchist and they don't know what an anarchist really is. So, so they didn't bother me too much about that. But the other thing that I really found disturbing, and this was during the election, is that the place, the people go to vote, they put the voting machines at the churches. Okay. And I had a job at a rehab in Alabama for a little while. My job was to drive these guys to church. So I would go to these churches. They're not like Catholic churches. These are like, Oh, I know. These weird hillbilly churches where a guy gets something online. But you go to these ch churches, and these churches, <sighs> they don't talk about Jesus. They don't talk about the Bible. They don't talk about any of that. All they do is tell people how to vote. They support oh. their anti-Muslim, anti-this, anti-that agenda. And then when it's election time, where do you put those voting booths? In the church. I mean, why did, you think, why did you think it was a good idea to move there? I remember when you moved there, I, I literally told you that's the worst idea you ever had. I, I thought because the taxes were low, it would be cheaper to live. And the other thing that I learned down there too is um, having children. When you, these people will have as many children as they can just to create more voters. I know. I mean, the thing is, and even in South Florida, like I'm on year four of my gay pride flag lawsuit. Okay. And literally I will not let it go because yeah, I'm not gay. Yeah. Well, first of all, I think everyone's everything. I consider myself to be pansexual. If you really want to know mm -hmm. my perspective, we've talked about this. I think, you know, sexuality and all of that is like a swinging scale. Like it's not black and white, but regardless, I, 
I don't know why I identify as like this like disenfranchised person. Like I identify like I fight for black like African Americans and gay people as if I am. And like funny story, I remember I got this gay pride flag from my son's godfather, and it's been up in my house for the longest time, right? And we started getting a lot of violations. And to the point that I, you know, I and you can link the news story, but I we per- we presented the news story to the media, got picked up on like news outlets in South mm-hmm. Florida because at the end of the day, what it was, was it was selective discrimination is that they were only nobody with the Trump flag was getting violated. <laughs> the only person getting a flag. And, you know, it's like I'm in South Florida. I'm 20 minutes from Miami. Right. Uh-huh. I'm in a blue zone. But still, the KKK headquarters is two miles from my house. Like. They allege not to be operating in Davie anymore and that it's no longer there. But the, the old schoolhouse in Davie was a KKK headquarters, right? And um, the dynamics of South Florida are shifting a lot. But when we first moved in, my former neighbor goes to Chris. What is that rainbow flag for? What's that for? And Chris goes, I don't know. You have to ask Gina. Gary, I got so mad at him for not being an ally to the community. Then the neighbor goes, Gina, what's that flag for? It's Jerry. He's moved since. He's like Mm -hmm. a hillbilly, original South Floridian. And I said, oh, my pride flag? Yeah, Chris is trans. And I just turned, walked in my house, and I just let let Jerry think he was fucking trans for the next four years. (laughs) I didn't correct him. I told Chris, I'm like, guess what? I just told Jerry you're trans. And it's like, he's not. But Chris is like, Gina, why did you do that? Now everyone's, and I'm like, well, what's wrong with being trans? You didn't take your opportunity to advocate for the community. And now you're going to fucking be labeled and, you know, as such. Yeah, Chris is not trans. But my thing is, it's like, what does it matter? We all need to advocate for one another. This is what I'm so passionate about, right? Like, even someone who's played in the fucking NFL, like Ruben, is still mindful that I am a white woman. Like, that is heartbreaking. And, you know, living in Alabama, you see that shit. I lived there for six months and I had to get out. Yeah, it's, it's it's bizarre. It's completely different than what we grew up with here in New Jersey, you know? Like right. when we could go to the gay pride parade in New York and just, it was oh, yeah, just was fun, fun, you know? I yeah. Mean, people were it's, just, we're, we're, we were just raised where people were just people. We're all, you know, just love, we love operate, each other. But it's easy to operate in your bubble and, like, you know, we live in we live in our little coast, coast yeah. city, but you have all these flyover states, right? And that's America. I know. Right? Like all these states that we fly over going from New York to LA to Miami, like we are in these little like secure safe bubbles. And it's like this is why I'm so passionate about advocating for things. It's like I told Chris, I'm like shame on you, right? And my husband, Ivy League educated, like do better, Chris. Like do better. You know? It's like If I am not as a white woman standing up, like a privileged white woman, who's going to? Like, that's my thing. You know, anyway, I'm done with this rant, but (laughs) thank you for coming to my TED Talk. (laughs) But yeah, no, I mean, to me, like moving to Alabama, but you don't know how bad it is until you're there. And that's true. I had no idea. None. It was just so bizarre. You know, the other thing about the last thing about Alabama, <laughs> we'll get off this topic, <laughs> right? So, one of the reasons I moved to the section I did is because it was near a Buddhist meditation center. Because, you know, where in Alabama were you, though? I was in Fairhope, which is right across the bay from Mobile. 
Okay. So the Buddhist meditation center was over in Mobile. The people at the meditation center had bought some property to create um, a retreat center. A judge in Mobile made it illegal for Buddhists to build temples. Right, and this is the kind of shit like I don't so. Know so where's the freedom of religion? I mean, <laughs> yeah, the freedom of religion for the religion that they want, and that's if you listen to my first episode of the podcast, which for all of you listening is No Risk, No Magic podcast, it's available on Spotify and where all podcasts <laughs> are played. But anyway, we went up, you know, because I have been having, you know, as I've tapped more into meditation practices and Reiki, like more has been continued to come up for me and be revealed, right? And the big thing is the need to be off grid and do this earth shift. So Chris and I went with a friend and we went to look at land in out in um, Northern Florida. Right. And because Chris did research and was like, there's huge amounts of land you can buy for very affordable. I'm thinking we could do the earth shift there because I have this whole vision about a healing center, this earth shift, Reiki, affordable housing for people like so on and so forth. Right. That's my motivation for the podcast. And we go there and we just go around the town, Gary. First of all, I should have thought it was strange that no realtor would take my appointment. <laughs> Literally no realtors. I would make appointments and they would cancel them. But furthermore was that we got the police called on us. Wow. For being suspicious urban people. Look at me. White. White as day, honey. But I have tattoos. I have a sleeve. Like I stood out enough to make people uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I made those people uncomfortable. And unfortunately, a lot of these people operate based on fear. You know, it's like a fear, fear run society. And I don't even believe that they mean negatively. They're just, they're conditioned this one way of fear, fear, fear. It's those churches. Anything, anyone and anything that you're exposed to that tells you there's only one way of doing something and don't look at anything else. Like I would caution you. Yeah. Right. Because that's where you have a problem. Like, any other religion, like if you look at the teachings or you read, you know, you start getting into the Akashic Records, it's like explore everything you want. That's the way it's it should this, be. It's this Christian narrative of like, this is the only way that's really toxic and that's really destructive, I think. It is, it is. And you do fear, like, when I, lived, when I was there, we had like a community pool and then you go, go there, it'll be crowded. <clears throat> so what I did is I got a tattoo of uh, some demons on my chest. So Love I went it. to the pool and took off my shirt. Everybody ran away. And I'd have to pull to myself. That's <laughs> so no, easy. Because, you know, for so you know, for so many years, Gary, I tried to assimilate. And even with my profession, I tried to make, you know, because I know that I am a very good nurse. If I have no other skill in this life, I am an amazing nurse. And my patients kept me in it forever. Okay, my patients, because they needed me. But at the end of the day, it's like I am just done masking who I am to fit a larger narrative. Like even with the podcast, you know, it's interesting when you start a podcast and I'm sure you can relate. It's like I don't really want to hear from people who only have something negative to say that I haven't heard from you in a year. And mm -hmm. you're going to listen to my podcast and come at me with a bunch of criticism and tell me why I can't do this and why I can't do that and why I can't say this and why I can't say that. Like. I don't really want to hear your perspective, right? right? Like anyone, when I told you I was doing the podcast, a real friend, a soul level friend, like someone who's like a, a bond you and I have, you're like screenshotting me how to do it. 
how to help, calling me, talking on the phone, giving advice. Like that's a real friend, not someone who's like reaching out to you and telling you everything you're doing wrong. Right. Did you experience that when you started your podcast? Um, Hmm. Not so much. I mean, <clears throat> I, I would do things. I didn't know any friends that did podcasts or anything, so I would just go on these podcasting Facebook groups and ask for advice. Right. One thing I learned is <clears throat> don't take advice from anybody else because <laughs> they all give you the wrong advice. You know, podcasting is something where it's unique. You find your own way, you know. So my advice to people for podcasting is just do it. Right, but the other thing is it's like, anyone that's coming to you and all they have is criticism or like, you know, any it's, it's a bigger lesson, right? It's not even about podcasting. It's about energetic attraction and meeting people who are on the same level. Like if you told me, Gary, if you were like, Gina, I know this is a little off brand, but I want to sign up for a triathlon. Okay. Mm -hmm. I would be like, all right, Gary, I'm going to send you a fucking helmet or I'm going to send you a video about Mm -hmm. how to like manage your breathing when you're running long distance. Like, yeah. That is friend. Somebody who's just going to say, Gary, you can't run a marathon. When was the last time you ran, Gary? When was the last time you got on a bike? That's true. Right? And it just shows me, and it's been such an eye-opening experience for me. And I don't expect everyone to like be sharing my podcast everywhere, right? Like my sister, she's a doctor. This is very off-brand for her. I make her uncomfortable. I'm like her closeted crazy sister. She's out here in like the academic circle wanting to impress and make change in a meaningful way. Right. So I get it in her sense, but it's like, if you love me and you care about me, you'll find a way to be supportive and encouraging. And it doesn't have to be sharing the podcast. That's a, right. that's not the point. The point is I think with anything in life, like you got to look at how people react to what your goals are and what you're trying to accomplish. Like don't let people come in your inner circle who all they want to do is bring you down. Like I, I hate that. And that's been like the biggest lesson for me. And it's really shown me a lot about people's character in my inner circle. Hmm. You know, I had an incident. Actually, the last time I saw one of my, I have, I have two brothers, and one of my brothers, when I went to go visit him, he started mocking me about my podcast, making fun of my voice and shit like that, and saying he was ashamed of what I was doing. I haven't talked to him since. It's really unkind, and it's like, it, you, it makes you understand why everyone is like, Nobody wants to be bold anymore and take chances. And it's like, I urge everyone in my life to be bold and take chances. Like me and Chris both, I made Chris quit his job. We moved to South Florida with $1,000, which was like the money I saved up at Applebee's. Like <laughs> literally Applebee's. when I worked at Applebee's and you remember, and I, I live, Gary used to come and visit me when I worked <laughs> at Applebee's. He used to come and sit in my section. The terrible onion soup. <laughs> Yeah. You powered through though. Like that's like such a good friend, you know, you're so special to me. And it's like, it's just, oh, you know, it's, you don't have to be supportive in any one way, but if someone's coming to you with something and you love them, find a way to be fucking supportive for them. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be like, you know, you get what I'm saying. It doesn't have to be, but to actively be mean and make fun of something you care about is really wrong. In my opinion. It is. It's, It's a terrible thing to do. You know, I mean, me, I don't care because I've always been sort of like an out there type of person, um, you know, because I've played music and stuff like that. So I'm not afraid of like what people think of me, but uh, the people around me sometimes do. 100%. And then you and I don't operate out of that lens. Like to me, like if you, 
if you're like ashamed of me or you think I'm embarrassing, like I just don't care. So it's like, but I also realize that I think so, don't you think so much of that is a blessing of going through what we've gone through? Yeah. I, I, like when you've been caught with your pants down, really, mm-hmm. you don't care. You're like, oh, fuck it, whatever. Yeah, I don't care. 100%. Why would I? But that's the gift of sobriety and like actually like smoking angel d- dust in the hood. You're like, oh, yeah, if I've been through that. <laughs> then you know what we'll throw the spaghetti on the wall something will stick and maybe i help one person you know that's my thing with the podcast i'm doing right it's mm-hmm. like i have this vision of bringing alternative healing modalities to like the masses to opening people's minds and hearts to practices that may not be mainstream yeah. right and then also like starting this earthship community we just went to costa rica and looked at land in costa rica which is heaven on earth paradise it was beautiful the pictures i saw were amazing you just have to operate out of a a place of a lot more intention in a country like that Mm. and that's the one thing that i think people don't realize it's like you know people are so quick to be like oh you're going to costa rica so dangerous be careful it's like it's not a third world country okay but it's dangerous in the sense of like the natural elements like jacob fell down a mountain and you have to be more intentional about food purchasing and what you want to eat and stuff because not everything is so readily available to you in the sense right. of like, it is in the United States, right? Like you can get anything and delivered to your house in two seconds, right? It's not like that there, but the price you pay for that, it's like Costa Rica is like you're in the elements and you're in, I want you to come in December. We're going for a month. I really mm-hmm. want you to come for, I've told you this for a period of the time, we're going to go to the top of Costa Rica make our way down and then cross over to Panama just to like really get us. Yeah. We're to get a sense of like where we want to go. And, um, you know, I have some meetings with some investors because God has, you know, it's like when you energetically put your energy into something that you're meant to do, things fall into alignment for you. Mm -hmm. It's, it's crazy, right? It's like, I tried to make nursing happen for 10 years and I was constantly met with force met with people not liking my personality and it was never related to patient care. My patients always loved me. My outcomes were always amazing, but in terms of like square and around whole thing, like my personality was always the biggest obstacle because I am who I am. Right. And, but anyway, in Costa Rica, it's just like beautiful. You can be your authentic self. You can live in the way you want to live. It's just, it's the opposite of the United States, quite frankly. That's beautiful. Yeah. Mm. You know, I was thinking about moving to Nicaragua for a while. Will you come and live on the Earthship community when we start it? Oh, I have a girlfriend. I don't know if she's going to live on the Earthship. What? So when did you get a girlfriend? I've had a girlfriend. I was not. Pro- oh, I did know this. I did know this. He just, he's a, he's newly single, but now he's off the market. You've been divorced for how long? How long has the ink been dry? Tell the ladies. Uh, well, it's almost been a year, like, next week. Oh, man. Maybe she'll want to come to Costa Rica. Don't count her out. Well, I'll see if I can convince her. Once she meets me, I'll sell it to her. Don't worry. <laughs> but I'm also, I'm also going to be doing um, a two-month archaeological dig in Peru. Are you going to do ayahuasca? No, it's just it's just archaeology. We're gonna be digging. Oh, I know, but when you're there, Peru is like land of ayahuasca. I don't know if I'm gonna do ayahuasca. I don't. You know, 
I found other ways to alter my consciousness without chemicals. One of them is being the binaural beats. I've had such good success with binaural beats. In fact, my intro and outro to the show is binaural. So if you're listening to it through headphones, you, you know, it's, it's there to switch your consciousness over. Well, you got me started on them. So good job. I literally now listen to them. And I, my friend who plays football, I made him start listening to them because you know, he's operating in a constant state of fight or flight, right? With his job. So I'm like, no, you need to listen to binaural beats. You need to like calm yourself, tap into your sympathetic nervous system, like parasympathetic nervous system, like your sympathetic nervous system on overload all the time with what you do. Like the binaural beats are amazing. And then they're scientifically proven. I mean, it works. Right. Like they they can measure the change in your brain wave by listening to these and your brain tries to adjust the frequency difference and switches its state. It's incredible. It's so simple, so obvious. And, you know, the other thing that, that makes me up to is that everything is just energy and vibration. It's all it is. It's all we are in consciousness, whatever consciousness is. People are too committed to their narrative and being right to, you know, and it's like, I understand, you know, I was, I had a lot of self-limiting beliefs surrounding healing. Like I have this mission that I want to meet Greg Braden and I want to interview him. I don't know if you're familiar, but he talks about the mind-body connection. Mm -hmm. And there's a very interesting movie on, uh, it's called Heal. And it, it's a lot of people who were able to heal various types of cancer and things like that through the mind-body connection. And it's like, you know, I think there's a lot of more research that needs to be done on that. But I think our minds are a lot more powerful than we want to believe. I think that we are a lot more powerful. I think we have the ability to heal ourselves. I think we have the ability to move through trauma and have meaningful change and binaural beats and meditation and Reiki and but the narrative in the United States is processed food busy 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 more and more and more alcohol numb yourself don't listen to your intuition like right and it's like you don't have to be meditating on the mountaintop for six hours a day right you can work a nine to five come home <laughs> put the binaural beats on for 15 minutes mm -hmm. do a meditation and go to a Reiki circle once a month and you're going to notice huge amounts of change yeah, yeah. There's all sorts of. That's one of the things I promote real heavily on my on my podcast is all these different ways. I mean, for me, it first started like with out of body experiences and stuff like that. But all these different ways to change your consciousness and change your perspective and use energy to just change reality. Because essentially, you know, what I've I've learned is re, re, everything that we're just looking at is just all made out of consciousness. It's like right. I'm perceiving this through consciousness. But this table that I'm sitting in front of isn't actually solid. And I know that scientifically, that, that yes. it is not solid. It is a manifestation. It's an illusion that I'm perceiving a certain wavelength as solid. But it, 1,000%. <clears throat> but it's not. I was talking on an episode of the podcast that's coming up. I was recording in uh, Costa Rica. It's like you and I are glitches in the matrix. Like – you and I, the way that we seek and we look for alternative like viewpoints that we are glitches in the matrix. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I definitely believe there are bigger forces at play and that's like podcast for another day. But it's like, you know, I think that you just need to be open to opening your mind to other things. Right. And then I think more will be revealed. If you, if you step foot on this path of healing and trying these alternative methodologies, you know, your possibilities are endless and limitless. Yeah. And I encourage people just to try anything and everything. 
you know, find out what works for them. I don't support or endorse any one particular thing. Totally. You know? I, I don't like the idea of being dogmatic about this either. Because that is one of the things that you do find a little bit in the New Age community is people being dogmatic. And, and that, I don't know, bothers me. I want to see people be able to have the freedom to do what they want. Each individual should be able to create their own practices and beliefs. 100%, but it's, it's also kind of similar to sobriety in the sense that, like, what keeps me sober isn't going to keep you sober. And you just need to be, like, mindful of that. And, you know, it's funny. I was listening to your episode with um, Ada. Is that how you pronounce it? Ms. Aida. Ms. Aida. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Ms. Aida. Don't push on. But, um, <laughs> you know, I was listening to her. I loved her episode. I ordered her book. Like, so excited to read it. And what I got from her was like, I believe in the power of spellbinding and witchcraft, like 1000%. Mm -hmm. That being said, I don't think I have enough positive intention to incorporate that into my practice. You see, because I am like self will. And right. I'm like, I would be over here doing spells for the wrong reasons. You see, so it's like, I think whatever you're called to, there's a reason you're called to it. And I think you just need to have an open mind. Like if you're like, oh, what's Reiki? That's interesting to me. Yeah. Let me go check it out. And maybe you hate it. Maybe you like it. Like acupuncture, right? I loved acupuncture, but my ac acupuncturist was encouraging me to get off my psychiatric medication, which I'm not willing to do. I feel that I really need it. So it's like, you know, I think you just have to listen to yourself. And the answers are within all of us, right? But we're so conditioned to not listening to ourselves. Like don't trust yourself almost. Like the energy of like don't trust yourself. No, trust yourself. You, the answers are within you. And like, if you don't have a clear answer, don't do anything. Like typical program rhetoric, when you don't know what to do, don't do anything. Mm -hmm. Just like wait, because the answers will be revealed. More will be revealed, you know, and it shouldn't be hard. Like the answers will come very intuitively if you're seeking them. Hmm. You know, I think about that all the time. It's been coming up for me about like not taking my medications anymore, you know. Um, be careful, Gary, be careful. Because, I, I mean, the antidepressant I take is really mild. I only take like five milligrams of it. And it's mostly. What do you take? It, do you take? Lexa, Lexapro. Oh, but, you only five milligrams? Yeah, but it's, it's mostly to counteract Keppra, which I take for epilepsy. Well, yeah. And the thing is, though, like, when it, I enjoy having epileptic seizures. Yeah, that's where you're fucked. So let's go we, ahead and keep taking Capra, yeah? No, no, but it, they're, they're very spiritual. You know, the, 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 when shamans, with, like a lot of shamans, the old shamans, the way the reason they were chosen to be shamans is because they were epileptic. They would go out, the, the brain has this storm, and you enter this other reality where you're connecting with, with things outside of our perception. And so listen, in a way, I think we what we look at as a... Um, an illness, it's really a spiritual gift. Because when I had my last seizure, when was it, it? it was a spiritual experience for me. When was your last seizure? Mm, I would say three years ago now, but it was a long one. It lasted over a half hour. And, and, uh, and, and, and when I was out, though, this time was like a near-death experience. And I went to this place. So it was like I'm in, I was in the center of the galaxy. And there was these colors spinning around me. There was a music that it, it could not, I could not put words to or even describe to you. And I was completely conscious and aware that I was somewhere else 
and I was completely at peace. There was no pain. I had no body. I had, well, it wasn't like I had thoughts. I just had awareness, pure, blissful awareness. And when I woke up in that ambulance, you told me you were angry. I was pissed. I was mad. But I would ask this of you. Who was, okay. Oh, I can give you two perspectives on that. One is like the nurse perspective, which like I, the spiritual side of me wants to say, like, get off your medication. I hear you and I hear everything that you're saying. But the nurse in me is like, this podcast is a lot of meaningful work that you need to do. And that you, my thing is you have a seizure, you hit your head on the table and you die. And you and I are not afraid of death, right? So we might be like, okay, yeah, that's fine. I'll cross over. No problem. Mm -hmm. But I don't think your work is done here. And I think that if you're going to do something like that, do it under the supervision of a doctor and just be conscientious of like your environment because you could crack your head on the table. But I hear what you're saying. But who else was with you and you had that seizure? You crossed over into this other dimension. Were there any spirit guides? Was God there? There was, there was whatever was there. I mean, there was... It was just pure consciousness. It was just pure, absolute consciousness. I didn't perceive any beings or other consciousness. I guess I was perceiving the ultimate consciousness. Like, my understanding is that I've done, like, now, like, maybe 50 episodes on near-death experiences, out-of-body experiences, and stuff like that. And, um, you know, there's three types. There's um, a white light experience where people see the light. Yeah. There is a... I think it's like what they call it, a clear experience is like that's where you kind of like see family members and you're having conversations and stuff like that. And then there's the black light experience. And that's what I had, the black light experience, which I, 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 I think, you know, I think I was like in the womb of God or something like that. I believe it. I mean, listen, I as a nurse, like I've had I've been in the company of many people as they've crossed over. And the hardest thing for me was when I was working for a short period in the cardiovascular ICU because you want to talk about operating out of a place of force. Like what we did to these people, and this is where like little healthcare blurb here, get yourself a living will and a healthcare surrogate, people. Make sure you fill out those forms and you have those conversations because what we used to do to these patients, Gary, and how we would keep them alive, their energy had crossed over. I felt it. They were no longer there. It was a body. We were working on a body. But the worst part I felt was when I felt their energy in their body and we were torturing them. We were torturing them by intubating them and putting them on drips and going and doing these invasive measures that, you know, it's like people don't listen. People think I'm a little drab because I have my living will and healthcare surrogacy form on the refrigerator. Mm -hmm. And that's not like the best energy and vibe of like, here's my death papers. Like if I'm dying, take these with you. But at the same time, these are conversations people need to have. And like when being in South Florida, and having working in this environment, you would see family members making decisions based on what they wanted. That's terrible. And, what, and the time, like they were not done with the person and the energy was not done with the person. But if they had been listening to the, if they had, I know, been following the guidance of what the person wanted, they would, nobody wants to be put through that. Mm -hmm. And when my mom was passing away, I know the nurse in the ICU might have thought I was quite callous because I said, give me the DNR and like, the DNR form. My mom was dying and there was no disputing that. And I mm. wasn't going to put her through that fucking torture, Gary. Like my mom, you know, you met my mom. She yeah. was sick for a long time. And I wasn't going to have her sitting in an ICU intubated for months just to pass away. And that's cruel. That's abuse. But energy is real. And like having the energy of people dying in front of me, like 
you're never going to convince me that energy isn't real and that we're just laying down these human bodies. That, that's another thing too that that I talk about a lot is is, I mean, I was there at the, you know, I was there with my mom when she died. I was with my dad when he died. I was with my uncle when he died. And um, letting people die peacefully, yep. just, just letting them go, yep. is a beautiful experience. And it's an important experience. It's just as important <clears throat> as a baby being born. 100%. I agree. And, uh, and, and you know, our culture just is terrified of it. And well, that's the reason I, and, I laugh. And, and does everything to resist it. But I lasted one year in the ICU. You know, I was, I've been a nurse for 10 years and I did labor and delivery for seven <coughs> years. And I worked in intensive care units for the rest of the time. And I, you know, bringing life into the world was very meaningful. But with the passing away, I couldn't stand by and watch us torture people as they're passing away. It's horrible. And, I'll, and I know we're running out of time, but I'll tell you one quick story. I was working in the cardiovascular ICU and there was this man who came in and he was pushing 90 and he was dying. He was had a GI bleed. His um, He was spouting blood out of his rectum like a fire hydrant. Like it was shooting. So they put him on a mass transfusion protocol. So I'm literally 15 minutes in. He's 10 different people. I've given this man so much blood, okay? And all he wants to do, Gary, is hold my hand and talk to me about his kids. And we have the healthcare system of of. America, we're trying to keep him alive, keep him alive, keep him alive, keep him alive. And all he wanted to do, he just hold, hold my hand. You're an angel. My kids, da, 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 this and that about my kids, my kids, my kids. And I held space for him. And I didn't realize that that's what I was doing because I hadn't been exposed to Reiki at that point, but I held space for him. And I was doing the functions of what was like, you know, necessary. And my computer was right outside of his room. And he said to me, are those your chocolate covered pretzels? Like on the desk. <clears throat> and I was like, yeah. He's like, I, can I have some? And I knew homeboy was about to get intubated. So he was supposed to be like NPO. But me, no fucks to give. I'm like, yeah, you can have some. So I give him the pretzels. We're holding hands. I'm transfusing him. He's telling me about his kids. And he literally, he does pass away. But we intubated him. And the intensivist is like, who let this man eat? And he pulls out the ET tube with the chocolate covered pretzel. And I was like, I don't know, not me. And he looks over and he sees like the chocolate pretzels at my nursing station. And I was like, innocent until proven guilty. Like, <laughs> because what that man needed in that moment is not the blood of 50 people. Like he needed, he was dying regardless. It was his time. And we needed to stop forcing like our will on him and let him pass. You know, and, and we, and he had a beautiful, like I was there for him. I gave him medication. He was comfortable, but it's like, I think about that. And that's what kept me in nursing for so long was to be able to hold space for people like him. Right. Like, I don't agree with what's happening necessarily, but I know that like I needed in that sense to like hold energetic space for him. But it's like, you know, it's so much force, so much force, so much force. And you have to let people go. I agree 1000%. My grandfather passed away with no force. We let him go. And it was beautiful. So beautiful. It is. When you just let people, let nature do what it wants to do, take its course. Or, I don't know. I, I just think, yeah. It's, I, it's just it, going, like I say, I just think people should be as comfortable dying. It's just as important as being born, you know. 100%. Because 
what is the difference between dying and being born anyway? No, it's just an—it's just literally energy moving in and out of a human body, the, a human experience. Uh, I, I mean, you might black out once and you're gone, and then you see a light and you're being born again, possibly. So when, when you're dying, you're being born, possibly. So you don't even really know. They're sort of the same thing. Yep. 100%. 100%. And it's just, you know, that's, uh, people are just like, in this country, death is so taboo, and people just want to cover their ears and pretend that it's not happening and not talk about it. But it's important. It's an important conversation. You know, I was on the front lines of it and saw it happening and it was just something I couldn't like co-sign anymore because it's such aggressive force that we use in the ICU and the measures we take to like keep these patients alive. Like it really just wasn't in alignment with what I knew was true. So it was painful for you? A hundred percent. I am so empathetic and like we're torturing these people to keep them alive when that's not even necessarily their choice. They're just no longer able to make decisions for themselves and homeboy, like their child from New York is calling because they have unfinished business with dad and they're like, no, do everything because you want another opportunity to clear up an issue you have with your father when you're not really thinking about his best interest. Right. And it's like I had a really hard conversation with my dad that I needed to have after my mom passed away because it I needed to clear that out just in case anything happened to him. And I think it's like because then these people are calling from whatever, wherever they're from to keep mom and dad alive. And it's mm-hmm. like. Mom and dad are 80 years, 80, 90 years old. What's their quality of life going to look like? What is their recovery going to look like from this, you know, this issue that their body is literally shutting down and I'm forcing you. I mean, we intubate people. We force their lungs to breathe. We put balloon pumps through their groin into their heart. We force their hearts to beat. We're forcing their lungs to pump their hearts to beat. We're giving them medication to keep their blood pressure elevated. Like modern medicine is amazing for trauma. Right. And that's what uh, Greg Braden and Joe Dispenza talk about in the movie Heal, which is what I, I love that movie. It's like, yeah, modern medicine has a place and I don't take away from that. OK, mm-hmm. like for trauma, traumatic injuries, accidents, things like that. But in terms of forceful keeping someone alive, like who's 80, 90 years old out of like an unhealed energetic wound that you and your parent has or you and your brother has, like clear the energy with the people who are meaningful to you now. So you don't have to feel that way in times of crisis, right? And this is the kind of stuff I'm talking about on my podcast, which you should all go listen to. Gary will link it. But yeah, no, I mean, it's important. Like, you know, energy in every any relationship, any interaction, like the energy you bring and the energy you give and you can't take it back. You can't take it back. Do you, think, do you think when people reach that state where they're, you know, so there's a machine pumping their heart and the machine breathing for them. Do you think that the soul has already left the body? Like the energy yes no. already I've, departed? But the, yeah, that's what I was saying before is that sometimes yes, sometimes no. So if we're intimating you, we're paralyzing you. We're giving you paralytics. We're giving you, we're paralyzing you and we're sedating you and we're giving you pain medicine. So typically for someone to be intubated, they're also getting sedation, typically a slow dose dipper van infusion, which is like what Michael Jack Michael Jackson juice. Okay. I so love it's that called- stuff. Propanol. Gary, relax. Propofol, Diprovan, different names of the same medication. These patients that we're breathing for are on a Diprovan drip. They're also on fentanyl drips for pain management. They're on a lot of different things. I have had the experience, Gary, where I have had a patient who's intubated, sedated, paralyzed. I've 
had someone cover them. I go to lunch. I come back and their spirit has left. And I've had people I feel are in their body and I have people who I feel have already crossed over. It's very situational. But this mm-hmm. one particular woman, I felt she, she was there when I went and gone when I left, when I came back. Like I went to lunch. She was in her body. It is an energy that is indisputable. You can and feel energy, it, right? Oh, 1000%. And any nurse who's worked with death and dying or life and birth, it's like when a baby is born, the energy vortex that comes into the room, but it's stronger when someone passes away. I've been... I've probably been with about upwards of over 50 patients when they've died over easy. And it's like when they're in the ICU, we're doing so much for them that a lot of time their spirits have already crossed, but in a code where someone dies, it's like unexpected. It's just such a chaotic environment that it's hard to know. But um, like my hospice patients I've taken care of when I've been floated to hospice units, mm-hmm. you a hundred percent feel it. Like it's like a, like, I had an incident where I was giving a woman morphine and she, her son left the room and he said to me, you know, I think my mom's a little uncomfortable. I'm going to go to work. I'll come back in a couple hours. And I gave her morphine and I was struggling to get the computer to work, which, you know, happened. So I gave her the dose, which you are not supposed to do. And I was like, I'll scan it after. So I'm trying, the computer's logging in because she was having agonal breathing, which is something you experience right before you cross over. It's a particular breathing pattern, right? So I knew she was going to go soon and I gave her the morphine and I'm typing in the computer. Like I can't get the shit to work, whatever. And I, I felt it was the first patient I had ever had die one-on-one. And another thing that's very prominent is you feel the energy shift more if you're the only one in the room. So if I'm in a room and there's 10 people and we're coding a patient, I don't feel it as heavily yeah. as if it's a one-on-one that because when I died, when I died with that woman, it was so intense. I got my hair stood up off my arms. I felt her energy. And I was just like, you know, I said a prayer for her. I envisioned her with God. And then I was like, shit, I better scan this medication because I have to call the time of death. Like, I got to scan this real quick. But like, you know, and it's like, I'm my Reiki master is like, you're so desensitized a little bit. And I'm like, that's my job. I can't, when I'm in the hospital, I don't get to like have an emotional freak out because my patient is dying. Like, I have to be the one taking care of it. Mm-hmm. And I feel it later. Like when I was in the ICU, I would cry on my way home more often than not. Like, and it was just, it took such a toll on me. That's why I had to stop. I, my last patient, he was an aortic dissection and he was 40 years old and I got to meet him and his wife. And, um, an aortic dissection is when your aorta literally is slowly splitting over, but it's a very hard surgery to repair because you have to cut off blood flow to the heart, which is only capable for around seven minutes. Don't quote me on the time because I don't pretend to know that. But um, so I did his whole thing. I he, I talked to him extensively and then he went to the OR and he coded in the OR and died. And I literally waited until my boss got to work because this was overnight. And I said, I'm so sorry. I'm not coming back here. I want to give you two weeks. I'll clean the floors. I'll mop the floors. I'll restock the toilet paper. But I cannot do this. Like it, 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 that circumstance sucked everything out of me and I could no longer compartmentalize because he was showing me pictures of his small children. His wife was there. I could no longer disassociate or justify like my older patients who are older, they're 80, 90, their time is over, you know, in my opinion, right? Like I'm not, who am I? Nobody, mm-hmm. but I feel better about it. I feel better about it as opposed to a 40 year old who has kids. I don't feel good about that at all. And I don't like it. So that was too hard. I couldn't, it was too hard for me to hold space in that capacity for that man, you know? 
Do you think it was his time? I don't know. I struggle with that. I think it's like, Gary, because yeah, I think it was his time because his, he was a healthy man. And an aortic dissection is like a slow ripping of the heart. Right. So it was his time, but I also struggle. I struggle, right. I'm bridging the gap right now between modern medicine and spirituality, you know, and I'm working through some of those questions I have. Um, Modern medicine has given me the glasses to view energy that I never had because I firsthand experienced it. Right. Do I think it was his time? Maybe. And I know that, you know, him and his kids made the contracts that they made with God, because that's what I choose to believe. I think we are all participants and we make contracts with God on the life that we want to have in this life school episode that we're currently in. I believe that we are part of making those contracts, but it doesn't mean it's not painful. Like I, I believe I made the contract to lose my mom Mm -hmm. and have my mom die and not meet her grandchildren. Do I Does that take away the pain I experienced from that being my current set of circumstances? No, like I still suffer that pain. So it's fine. Like, you know, sometimes I get upset with God that I don't have any like much extended family or, or whatever the case may be. But it's like, I have comfort knowing that this is my current set of circumstances and God has health space for me and good things have continued to happen. Like my life, my early childhood is like lifetime movie of the year with everything I went through with child abuse, a schizophrenic yeah. mother. Like it could be a sob story, but I've managed to cultivate a beautiful life for myself. And I don't want sympathy from anyone. Right. But these people, like, I don't know, my heart breaks harder for other people than it does for myself. I can easily like feel strong for myself, but as an empath, that man passing away, nail in the fucking coffin, Gary, like, I'm, I can't take it anymore. Because it's just, it feels unjust. It feels unjust. And that to me was what I could not handle. I cannot handle injustice. And I'm not God. So who am I to say what's just and what's not? But it felt unjust to me. And that, so for me, that's when I called called it. I was like, I cannot operate as a nurse in this role anymore. It's too hard. That has to be very difficult. You know, do you think that spiritual medicine could have helped that man? Like a, a, a faith healer or laying of hands or a prayer group? I think it could have helped him. It might not have changed the outcome, though. Like, I think 100%, I'm just plugging my computer. I think 100% it could have helped him and it would have helped him because unbeknownst to me, what I was doing for that older man that night who had the gastric bleed I was holding space for him without realizing it. And only now I realize, and I made his passing very smooth without like, and that is a huge difference because I've seen patients pass away with a lot of force and it be very traumatic. And I don't care to scare your audience and give specific details of those events, but I've seen people pass away screaming and carrying on and having really bad experiences. And I've seen patients pass away very peacefully. And I think always, those energetic healing modalities would serve in those situations, but would it change the outcome for something that's like pre-written destiny? No, I don't think so. But I think if someone is like, you know, like, do I believe that Reiki could cure your seizures? Yes, I do. I think if you got with a Reiki master and you practice Reiki regularly and you believed mind body connection, like Joe Dispenza and Greg Braden speak about if you truly adopted those beliefs, I believe you could cure yourself of, of your epileptic episodes. Hmm. Yeah, but I, I believe that we need to marry. I think we need to marry modern medicine with spirituality. 
and neither community wants to speak to one another. Modern medicine doesn't want to speak to spirituality and spirituality, new age bullshit doesn't want to speak to modern medicine. What about, you know, how about like plant medicine? Like one of the things too that I've talked about, you know, like I was talking about like you know, coming off my medication and stuff. But then I was talking, you know, to my therapist about alternative treatments like, um, like ketamine, cannabis, um, and even, uh, like mushrooms. Well, okay. So for someone like you, I don't, especially, not. especially as an addict, it becomes really complicated. If, as an addict, it is, it is very tricky. And you should listen to my episode with Jackie because she's sober now and she was addicted to heroin and she talks about her experiencing experience doing ayahuasca. No one's doing ayahuasca to get high because you're purging, you're vomiting, you're having diarrhea. I would say for the, now it's a catch 22, Gary, because ayahuasca, you cannot be on any medication hmm. because you'll put yourself into serotonin syndrome. So, oh, but I know there has been evidence-based research to support benefits of ayahuasca and cancer patients. There has been evidence-based practice. There has been evidence-based practice to support transmagnetic stimulation. Like if I was your girlfriend, and I was like in control of you, not that you should be in control of your spouse, but if I had like significant control over the choices you made for you specifically, I would say TMS, transmagnetic stimulation, because that would help rewire and remap your brain and like reset a lot of your neuroreceptors, right? So that's, that's very non-invasive That's magnets on the outside of your brain. And you do it with the, you know, with those psychiatrists who's trained in that. I can't do, I would it, my, I can't do it myself. No. Because it's intense magnet frequencies. Mm. And then secondly, and it needs to be, they need to um, focus on the areas where you are not producing efficient levels of like hormones in the brain. Then I would also say for someone like you, I would do a cell ganglion puncture, like something like that. And I would start can I do, with, can I do that myself? Negative. You psycho probably could, but I would say, no, it's not a safe practice. Like to me, I believe in the marriage of modern medicine and new age stuff like i think there's a happy medium i think i think so too we as a society need to get to the happy medium and that's that's also a mission of my podcast like you know my reiki master she's like whoa she maddie she's like really strong one way and i'm really strong the other way and i think i think the marriage is like the beautiful part i've been able to get off some of my psychiatric medication there are some i don't think i'll i don't foresee myself getting off of anytime soon right Hmm. I don't know, but I think that we should be open and do what feels like we're called to do. Like if a practice feels, if you feel like you're being called to a practice, you should do it. In my opinion, that's my opinion. Right. Like, I mean, I felt like I was called to do the podcast. Definitely. You know, but far as my own self care, as far as my mental health, I don't know what to do sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh oh, yeah. sounds like it might be needed. Take up, I'll be right with you, baby. <laughs> okay, go downstairs and I'll be right there. When we're done, we'll go get sushi. My son loves sushi. I love sushi, too. He, like, talk about a little international boy. Like, I told myself that I, when I had kids, I would not modify food for them. Mm-hmm. If I'm eating sushi, your ass is eating sushi. <gasps> oh, sorry, potty word. If I'm eating, um, if whatever I'm eating, and my kids eat Indian food, sushi, like... Mm-hmm. No, nothing is off limits. It's really nice. Yeah, it's great having. That's another thing too that you don't have in some places. But I, mean, I, I, I love cultural food. You know, Indian food, sushi, Thai food. 
Mediterranean food. I love it all. Sri, Sri Lankan food is like my new, my new little obsession. So That's definitely cool. get involved with that. Especially in New Jersey, there's a lot of people from Sri Lanka and India. So it's like good, cheap food. I, I used to hang out with Sri Lankan monks in, uh, I think it was Kingston. They built that giant Buddha statue. Yep. Those guys were pretty cool. I cannot believe they would not let that temple be built in Alabama. I mean, I can believe it, but it's just crazy. Yeah, it's insane. It does. I can't believe that that stuff is still going on in this country that was founded upon the premises of freedom of religion. I was telling Chris about the colonization of this country, and I was like, yeah, there was a lot of bullies who came to America and uh, with a lot of force. And, and my friend's like, are you talking about colonization? I'm like, yep, because that's what it is. Yeah, it's just a mess. So I know you have to go. Before Hold we on one second. Let me kick this kid out. Okay. Yeah, he's experiencing, I let him stay home today because he's experiencing a, a little bit of bullying at camp. Oh. And I believe that anybody deserves like a rest a respite from that mm -hmm. and you know i just want to like hold space for him we're gonna go get sushi we're gonna go to the library lots of fun mommy stuff awesome no but what are you gonna say sorry oh, oh i was gonna ask you to uh promote your podcast give you a couple minutes to talk about it let people know oh, where yeah, to find sure. it yeah 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 so it's on spotify that's where most people are listening to it and on instagram you can follow the podcast page at no risk dot no magic dot podcast and i will have gary link it below and I'm running the podcast with my Reiki master as a reoccurring guest because there are some subject matters that she's that she won't doesn't care to speak on right like I'm having a celebrity plastic surgeon on next week mm -hmm. but I also have had you know my friend who's a professional football player and kind of the recurrent themes that I've been noticing about the podcast is just like it's about energy it's about hope I'm having um, a, a hospice physician come on as well to talk I'm having, you know, I just think the conversations surrounding energy, healing, moving through life in an intentional way, like, but I also call bullshit on a lot of new age stuff, yeah. right? Like, I think it's very, I think a lot of the new age stuff, it's a very convenient narrative, you know, for a lot of people to sit in inaction. And that's where Maddie and I differ a lot. You know, I believe, yeah, spirituality is beautiful. And a lot of these practices have changed my life very significantly. But at the same time, you need action and you need meaningful change, right? And that's where so many people fall short, I think. So, yeah, it's kind of on those subject matters. I have a lot of fun guests and just like bringing a fun perspective to energy healing, alternative healing modalities. I'm very similar to Gary in the sense of just having an open mind for anything, any possibilities. Like I don't have, we limit ourselves. We are full of self-limiting beliefs. Like nobody puts that on us. That's us. Yeah. So, yeah. And then also the bigger vision is to fund the Earthship, which realistically will probably start um, in the summer between Jacob's first and second grade year. Mm -hmm. Chris and I are going to go spend some time in December <clears throat> and I have some investment meetings with some investors. And I'm going to put up a little link and let people, you know, donate if they want to donate to the podcast. And it's going to be like a retreat space, a retreat center. Right. Um for, you know, because something I'm very passionate about is affordable housing. And I think this country, and there's a lot of people like my mom who are just kind of like failure to launch and, you know, everything is becoming so expensive in this country. And it's, it's a little bit unfair. And I think people deserve a chance. And 
affordable housing with more intentional living spaces and time to heal like a 40 hour work week with family and kids and no community. It's just not sustainable to me. And I feel it. I feel so called to making change in that community. Like my, this retreat center, this space, it's like, I see it becoming a yoga retreat center. I see it becoming a place where people can come to vacation. I see it being certain people can live there. Like, and the thing about earth ships and I'll put some information for Gary to share is that earth ships are a type of house that's made out of trash that are, but it's beautiful. It's not like mm. ugly, but they're carbon negative. So they actually reduce environmental toxins. And instead of making waste, it actually helps to reduce waste. So I think it's just, you know, kind of turning the tide on some of that, like all of the damage our ancestors have done to the environment, to everything. Like if we don't, as a generation, ask ourselves, how can I make change in this capacity? We're going to be floating on one ice cube in the freaking with global warming and everything that's going on. Like nobody is willing to take ownership for anything that's happening. And you don't have to start a podcast and start an earth ship to make meaningful change. Making meaningful change is like holding space for your kids and asking them how their day was and not being on Instagram on your cell phone and listening to what their answer is. Right. Because that's breaking patterns of generational trauma. Not everything has to be on such a large scale, but I, every single person out there is capable of modifying their behaviors in a way to like hold space for their loved ones, be kinder, right? It's like, I've been spewing the same shit since I was 11 years old, right? Like be kind and loving to everyone. Say what you mean, mean what you say, don't say it mean. And so the podcast is a space for all of that, you know? And I'm definitely going to force Gary to come on. So go follow the page. Uh, Absolutely. I'll be a guest. Oh, absolutely, Gary. (laughs) You're coming on like next month. When are you going to dig in Peru? When are you going to dig? We haven't p- picked a date yet. We're still sort of in that fundraising stage too because it's going to cost oh. quite a bit of money because we're going to be out there for two months. Put a link so people can donate. But, um, and you know, we can we can time it with when I go to Costa Rica, Gary. Well, I don't know if we could do it that quickly because we're going to be there for a while. But it, I'm, I'm working on it with my co-host, Jared Murphy. Jared. Because one of the things that we're looking for is um, – signs of engineered soil from ancient civilizations to show that they had more technology than what we think. And humans have have existed on this planet longer than we think because a lot of the stuff that we were taught in school was just not right. Oh, 100%. You got, listen, I'm going to have Chris, you got to have Chris on the podcast. There is on this bookshelf right here is 50 books about Egypt and Egyptian infrastructure and building and he's very called to studying that but yeah no the technology there's definitely higher forces in the technology we have way more advanced technology i mean it was literally impossible for the pyramids to be built in that time frame with the technology we allege they have it's literally there's literal science to prove that so and we found batteries ancient batteries i mean yep no i don't know there's a huge mystery there to be solved i just love poking at definitely 100%. Awesome. Well, well you, I will. Gary. You're welcome. And I'll put the links that you, um, to your podcast and anything else you want me to put in the notes of this episode. And it's been a pleasure having you on. We'll do it again. I love you. Love you too. All and, right. We'll talk soon. Okay. okay. Bye bye. All right. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com 
or message him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the cost of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of this page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. You can also buy the book Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need. You can find it on Amazon and it will change your life. Because remember, everything that it says was first imagined. Thank you.